hits all the time. We are double-digit case. We're busting ours. Pick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. The 2020 baseball season has come to its conclusion following the Dodgers win in the World Series. And before we turn our attention to 2021, we're going to look back at the last decade of national success. Welcome into Mass and All Access Podcast, everybody from the Mass and Newsroom by Blanco and Amy Jennings here. And Amy, before we get into our main topics of discussion, actually, we have some breaking news, too, to get into in just mm-hmm. a little bit. Let's talk about that Dodgers World Series because you would think that the headline would be Dodgers win the World Series, first time in 32 years since 1988. Uh, Corey Seager's MVP, but there were headlines in the game and then after the game that drew a lot of attention away from what should have been a celebratory night for L.A. Right. It's 2020. We knew it was going to be nothing short of a crazy night, right? Game six of the World Series had to be crazy. And, of course, we have to get into that decision of pulling Blake Snell. Bobby, what was your first reaction? I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. This was the first... And I, I should have believed it, though, because it wasn't the first time that Kevin Cash has done this, not just in this World Series, but in the postseason. And look, this is what the Rays do. That is their model of for success. They've got it calculated to a T. And he, he being Kevin Cash, said after the game that there was no plan. They just decided that they didn't want Blake Snell. Yeah, you're shaking your head. I agree. No plan. I'm okay. so sure. Uh, they didn't want Blake Snell to face Mookie Betts in the, in the Dodgers order for a third time. Look, I, I mean, I'm sure... Most pitchers' numbers drop down third time through the order, and most hitters' numbers probably go up the first time you or the third time you face a, the same pitcher. But the guy was absolutely carving up the best lineup in baseball. Nine strikeouts through five and a third. He only gave up two hits. How can you put that on him and pull him in a must-win game like that? Well, and the thing is, it's yeah, it's game six of the World Series. Like you have to leave those calculations out the window and use your eyes. Look at what he's doing. I mean, let him let let them see him for the third time through the lineup. Let let him get hit around. Take him out once he starts to get hit around. At least with Blake Snell, you knew what you were getting, and he was lights out. I mean, I just don't understand. It's game six of the World Series. You have to use your eyes. And he's only the second pitcher in two decades of postseason history to be yanked with nine strikeouts before he got to 75 pitches. The only one before that was CeCe Sabathia. And he was letting, you know, run, run score. He was getting hit around. He was letting run score. And that's the difference. And I don't understand why they didn't just let Blake Snell. Let him get hit a little bit. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's, it's if, if I'm going down, I'm going down with Blake Snell on the mound like if if you beat me tip your cat congratulations on your championship the Dodgers I'm not letting them beat me with anybody else on the mound he's my best pitcher right now and he's absolutely carving them up if you if I go down I go down but I have I will now we can also get in this conversation well it doesn't matter because the Rays offense only scored one run but if Blake Snell stays in the game Dave Roberts is managerial strategy changes probably as well. Who knows who he brings in to try to keep it a one-run game, and that's maybe when your offense can take advantage and score a couple of insurance runs. But, yeah, to me, it comes down to um, I'm living and dying with this guy. He's got nine strikeouts through five um, and a third. I've got to just ride it out. The only other – the only plausible – and I haven't seen this anywhere, and this is completely my assumption. uh, My only – the only – reasoning that I could maybe get on board with 
is that my bullpen is good enough to keep this a one-run game. Although, in my mind, you're never going to beat the Dodgers one nothing. You're not going to hold the Dodgers regardless. But maybe the reasoning yeah. was I'm going to hold this to a run-run game or I'm going to trust my offense to score more runs uh, and win a game six. And by preserving Blake Snell at 75 pitches, there's a possibility I could get some outs from him in game seven. That's the only explanation. But even to that, I will say you need to get to game seven first. And Blake Snell is right. your best option doing that, pitching as long as he can. And I get it that worked for them all season, but it's the World Series. It's yeah. game six of the World Series. It's a must win. Like, all of that has to go out the window. And you never. it's easy for, easy for us to look back and critique that decision now. But after the game, all of the Dodgers and all of their post-game press conferences were saying, we were so glad he was out. We were so relieved. You never want that to be the situation. You never want your opposing team to be happy that your guy's going out of the game. So if you look at that, you know, the position they were in and if that's the situation leave him in yeah. leave him in and when we saw this last year i mean this fan base knows that this t- this nationals team knows that feeling all too well game seven facing zach Greinke and, and the astros in houston it was a huge sigh of relief and we could not believe that aj hinch was bringing zach Greinke out of that game and then not even using garrett cole in the later part of that game it was and I think Nationals players went on record saying it was a sigh of relief. It was like, all right, anybody else. Exactly. Give us a chance at anybody else. And that's exactly – you don't want to give, especially a team like the Dodgers, who was the best team in baseball right. this year. They've been one of the best teams, if not the best team, over the past couple of years. Third World Series in the last four seasons. You don't want to give them a glimmer of hope or a glimmer of a chance. Uh, and that lineup and, – and Mookie Betts went off, you know, with the home run – uh, the great play scoring from third on an infield single to or infield ground ball to first base. Uh, he's a game changer, and that's what you get. I mean, it, Amy, is it the timing of it too? Was it the fact that the Dodgers scored right when Blake Snell was pulled from the game? Does that impact it, it at does. all? It does. It does change it. It makes it look way worse. Yeah. I mean, it does. But it, it's still going to come back to that decision yeah. at that time. Tampa Bay fans are going to be thinking about that decision for a very long time. Because that change, who knows how long he could have gone. You mm-hmm. ride him till. Till he can't go anymore, yeah. and then that changes your whole um, strategy in the bullpen. Yep. So who knows how that would have sh- shook out if that were the case. And I said when we were talking about, our, I think this was last week, our World Series predictions, you know, I said the Dodgers need to avoid Game 7. If it goes to mm-hmm. Game 7, that's the Rays' best chance to win yep. this series because anything could happen in a Game 7. Yes, um, they would have had Walker Bueller pitching for L.A. in a Game 7, but like we just mentioned, look what happened in last year's Game yep. 7. Maybe... Dave Roberts is a little antsy trying to w- win his first World Series as a manager um, in a team that's lost twice now in the last three years. You know, maybe you maybe he makes a, a similar mistake in the Game 7 that Kevin Cash just made. But it doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, congrats to the Dodgers. I'm wearing Dodger blue out today if you're watching on Mass mm-hmm. and National's Facebook page and YouTube channel. And, and I do have Twitter. to say, I think my bracket shook out a little oh, bit better than yours. Oh, your bracket pummeled mine. Yeah, Good thing this isn't a betting podcast, guys. <laughs> we would, I would be... I wouldn't be on that, that podcast. We would just shut down the podcast because mine would not. Mine did not turn out. I, I did go very upset heavy, and that's boomer okay. bust right there. It's 2020. Who knows? Exactly. That Could've was my worked. thought process. Could have uh, boomed, but, but it uh, busted. I am wearing Dodger blue. It's not in support of the Dodgers. That's just how it, my wardrobe shook out for this week. Okay. So congrats again to L.A., uh, City of Champions, I guess, with the Lakers winning as well. Uh, 2020 was obviously a weird sports season for everyone. But L.A. came on top with two championships. Finally. Congrats to them. Um, yeah, and you know what? That's the other thing, too. I know, I know a lot of Nationals fans, maybe not because the Nationals got theirs last season, 
but I know a lot of Nationals fans, I might be semi-included in this, but didn't want to see the Dodgers win. But I could stomach it because they have been one it's of, if not the best coming. teams in baseball. Yeah. Not just not just the National League, in baseball over the past couple of years. Uh, and you look back even to 2017, you know, who knows what would have happened if the Astros weren't cheating. Uh, and maybe they would have been able to pull it. So there, you do, and you, you feel for a guy like Clayton Kershaw, who's done everything exactly. but win a ring. Um, I was very happy to see him celebrate um, and, and get his... Speaking of celebrating, the other storyline after the game is Justin Turner, who was pulled in the eighth inning. Uh, MLB got word of an inconclusive test in the second inning of Game 6 of the World Series. Expediate his test from that day. Get the test back results in the eighth inning. It's, neg- it's positive. Call that team. Yank him from the game. Quarantine himself. Isolate himself. Then they win the thing. And he's out on the field. And he's out on the field. Touching the trophy, hugging teammates, hugging players, taking pictures with his mask off. Just not a good look. I mean, of course that had to have happened in in this season. Right. The end of 2020, it just had to happen. But my thing is, is at that point, I don't even know if the celebrating on the field afterwards bothers me as much because he, at that point, he's already spread it. Mm -hmm. Like he's played eight innings of baseball. He's already spread it. It's like, how are you yeah. going to, at that point, you pull him from the game. What's the point? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I mean. I mean, they have to. They didn't have a choice. But then there course. are family members on the field now. That's there true. are other people. Not that, you know, of course, it's a contact virus and, and stuff. So, like, if it was gonna, if it's going to spread, it would have spread probably eventually. But then you're also, you got small children, maybe right. people who are more vulnerable on the field running around. And, and if you're going to yank him from the game. But then let him out there to celebrate and give it to everybody. I, what, what sense does that I make? I guess there's no protocol. I mean, what? Do we, do we know? I guess there's no protocol for... The a, celebration a, afterwards? Well, not even that, but a player who is removed from a game. Because remember, the Marlins didn't remove anybody from a game against the Phillies earlier right. in the season when they knew they had positive tests. So I, I don't think, unless my memory is failing me right now, I don't think we had a situation during the regular season where a player had a test had positive in-game game and had to be not removed. I and I guess there's no protocol from removing him completely from the stadium. Otherwise, I would imagine that Justin Turner would have been taken back to his hotel room. Or, I mean, I guess they wanted to isolate him there. But, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, I think so th- my, my thinking, and I'm a health expert, but my thinking would be let's get him away from the 6,000 people that are there right, or, and get him into an isolated hotel room or something. Right, or let him play the last two innings of baseball and then get him out of there before they have the masses of people. I don't think you people. can let him play. I don't think you can let him finish the game. Well, then as how do you let you him know, out you, there on the field with everybody? Well, that's a, that's I a, guess like, all bets are off when you win the Someone World had Series. to be there. To, someone was supposed to be there to stop him, and no one did that. Right. And either he just ignored them and went, or that person just did not do his job, his or her job, and, and just completely botched not right. letting him out back on the field. It's just a whole mess all Hope, the way around. I mean, of course, the 2020 baseball season had to end this way. Um, and hopefully everybody's safe. Yes. Hopefully... Maybe yeah. it was a false negative. We don't know. Right. But it's going to be very interesting in the next couple of days not... The celebration of the Dodgers championship, or obviously no parade, but it's going to be what's going to be, yeah, what's go, what's going to be the uh, the consequences mm-hmm. of possibly a, a person who tested positive running around on an infield without a mask too. He took his mask off for the team picture, um, and and what could possibly look, it doesn't look good on no, baseball. It doesn't. And, and sure. if there's a mass spread on literally the last day of the regular season, it's just and, and poor Rob Rob Manford. I mean, could that guy had not been more out of his element? Last night, I mean, those interviews he did were just so awkward. And I so know. It's just, it was a, 
it would ha- it should have been a celebration for baseball turned into a disaster. <laughs> um, and so again, congrats to the Dodgers, but fingers crossed. It's over crossed for the year. Let's no move one, on. <laughs> no one is, uh, is everyone is safe. Um, all right, before we move on though, we are going to try to look ahead of course to 2021 over the next coming weeks. This week, we're going to look back at the last decade of success for the Washington Nationals. Um, and I'm going to talk to uh, Johnny uh, DiPaluglio, who is the international scouting director for the Nationals. Of course, he's credited, and assistant general manager, of course, he's credited uh, with the scouting and signing and development of guys like Juan Soto, Victor Robles, Luis Garcia. So I'm going to chat with him at the end of this podcast. Uh, he had some interesting things on how they were able to scout guys internationally mm-hmm. this in this pandemic season um, and how they planned on attacking next season if it's going to look a little different like this season did. Um, but before we get to all that, there is some house uh, uh, keeping, keeping that cleaning. we need to do. Rather, I guess it is kind of cleaning. <laughs> uh, right before we went on air, again, we are live on Mass Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. Um, the Nationals have declined a couple of options, contract options, guys that we have mentioned on the podcast over the past couple of seasons. Um, oh, not seasons, sorry, weeks. Um, that would be club options for Adam Eaton and Anibal Sanchez and mutual options for Howie Kendrick and Eric Thames. Those options have been declined. Of course, that doesn't mean they can't re-sign them in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and we talked about this last week. We dove into all of these contracts and their value to the Nationals, their value to the Nationals moving forward as they hope to continue to compete throughout the next decade. And I can't say that any of these moves surprise me, Bobby. Yep, and I'm actually getting even more breaking news from our producer, um, uh, Paul Mancano, the Nationals just announced oh their coaching staff as we are live on air right now. So this is completely throwing out our, our co- topic of conversation this week. Um, taking a quick look at it, of course, Dave Martinez is the manager. Tim Bogart is the bench coach. Randy Knorr is your first base coach. Uh, Bob Henley moves back over to third base. So Bob Henley is back at third base. Kevin Long remains the hitting coach, which, of course, that news actually broke after we got off air last week uh, from uh, from the Nationals. Jim Hickey, of course, the pitching coach. Henry Blanco is your bullpen coach. And assistant hitting coach is Pat Roslair. Um, Rosler, excuse me. Uh, so familiar names on there. The really the only ones that really stick out, of course, is Jim Hickey. The kind of a new game, but just some shifting around. Randy Nor, your first base coach. Tim Bogar has been uh, stayed as, as bench mm-hmm. coach, and we figured that would be the case because he was promoted to that spot uh, this season. Yep. Well, a lot of moves there, but yeah, the only the only really new name is Jim Hickey, of course. Um, and of course, this news breaks while we're on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, we thought we would had news breaking. L- literally minutes before we got on to record the <laughs> podcast uh, in terms of the club options. But there is your Nationals 2021 coaching staff. Again, familiar names. Be sure to stay tuned to MassInSports.com uh, updates from Mark Zuckerman and Byron Kerr over the next couple of days to kind of get a full breakdown of what these pitching changes mean. And I think that's nice to, to, to get this, this coaching staff together now. You know, ahead mm-hmm. it gives them plenty of time to get their game plan together. It gave, you know, Davey time to get accustomed to this new um, coaching staff and kind of get a nice cohesive plan together as they head towards the 2021 season yep absolutely i agree so just real quick to touch back before we finish that breaking news um the club options so again club options declined for adam eaton anibal sanchez the nationals declined their portion of mutual options for howie kendrick and eric thames again of course that means um that doesn't deter them from re-signing them Uh, i'm sure a couple of guys howie kendrick i.e uh, being the main guy there that they could negotiate over the next couple of weeks in free agency mm-hmm. and bring back Howie 
needs to decide if he wants to play again next season. He said at the end of this regular season, he was going to take some time with his family and, and rest his hamstring uh, before making that decision. But just a quick calculation. We kind of did this last week, but to break it all down, the Nationals will be saving about $26.25 million by declining these options and paying the ba- the payout money or the buyout money, rather, excuse me. Um, that money breaks down. It was $12 million for Sanchez, 10.5 for Eaton, 6.5 for Kendrick, and 4 for Thames. Uh, $2 million buyout for Sanchez, 1.5 for Eaton, $2.25 million for Kendrick, and $1 million buyout for Eric Thames. So the Nationals are saving themselves some money. That gives them some more wiggle room and free agency, acquiring trades, maybe some bigger contracts, and, of course, re-signing, possibly re-signing uh, one of these four guys. And we'll, we'll get into this in a little bit, but one of the reasons that the Nationals have been able to stay competitive over the last decade is that they're great at knowing when to get guys, but more importantly, they're great at knowing when to let guys go, um, and this could be an example of that. And when we were looking at this list last week, Bobby, you said, I believe you said that Howie, you saw, was the most likely to return from, from this list. Yep, that was who I, would, I, would, I figured. Just because of the option at DH. The option at DH, uh, we, well, who knows about the universal DH next year. Uh, he's probably he's probably the best hitter of those four, uh, of those three, I guess. I need a pitcher. Um, and with the influx of outfield, I mean, they have influx in infielders too and first baseman. But with the possibility. Depending on Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Zimmerman's a big that. question mark too. Uh, I, I just don't see how Adam Eaton would be coming back. Um, with the price tag that he would have commanded, ten and a half million, that is the second largest number on that of the, of all of those options. Uh, with Sanchez being twelve million, yeah, I, I I just foresee Howie Kendrick what he's meant to this organization. If he wants to give it one last go, my guess is that there's going to be mutual interest there uh, from both sides because you know, assuming Zimmerman comes back and the Nationals figure out how to they add some more guys across his roster. Howie Kendrick won't be a guy that they'll need to count on to play every single day. If Adam Eaton comes back and you're going to pay him $10.5 million, he's going to have to play every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have $10.5 million just sitting on your bench being your fourth outfielder. But you can, let's just say, let's work, maybe it's 2 or $3 million for Howie for one more season. You can have that kind of bat sitting on your, on your bench and being one of the most productive pinch-hitting bats uh, maybe in the National League next season, or DH if it stays. So there is a role for Howie Kendrick to play more so than the other guys. And Sanchez, I wouldn't completely discount Count Sanchez. Yeah. Um, it might be unlikely. I bet you the Nationals will look other places first, and, and if nothing comes to fruition, they could come roll back and maybe grab Sanchez on a cheaper deal. But Howie, to me, is definitely the standout. No, no, not, I shouldn't say no-brainer, but standout I agree. Um, best option of, of these four guys. I agree. And Eric Thames is just off the board for me. <laughs> yep, yep. All right. Well, so thank you for sticking with us through that kind of uh, kind of shake-shifting uh, shake and, and uh, breakdown-shifting uh, uh, news for on the, on the podcast. Let's get back to our, our original topic at hand. And this kind of, like you mentioned, Amy, this could kind of, kind of play into – uh, what we're going to talk about, again, the Nationals have had such great success over the last decade. They are the third winningest team in baseball since 2012. A handful of playoff appearances, division championships, and a World Series championship, and a, and a National League pennant, of course. We're just going to be talking about basically how the Nationals have pulled this off, how they've remained competitive, how they've even avoided having to do rebuilds. We've seen teams like the Yankees even have to do quick rebuilds and take a year or two off from being competitive mm-hmm. and, and try to get back in it 
uh, in different ways. Meanwhile, the Nationals, yes, they've had some ups and downs. They didn't make the playoffs a handful of years, but they've always been competitive. Again, the third winningest team since 2012 in, in baseball. So we're just going to be tossing around our ideas, our thoughts on how the Nationals have been able to do this and what factors do we find most important in a team like the Nationals being able to consistently stay competitive. Amy, what are your thoughts so far just first off on on the national string of success over the last decade or so. And well, it's an impressive, especially the way the way that baseball's going, you know, you win and it rebuild and just the cyclic nature of baseball nowadays. But what it comes down to for me is that the Nationals were able to build a core group of guys and then constantly build on that, whether it's being active in the free agent market or being active at the trade deadline. They've pretty much always been buyers, never really had to be sellers like most teams have to be. And that's what it comes down to is, you know, you're not building one core group of guys that all peak and you win a championship at one time and they all fall at once. Um, but you're, you're constantly replacing. You're getting rid of guys at the right time. You're getting other guys at the right time. And the Nationals and Mike Rizzo have been successful in doing that. And I think that's why they've been able to su- sustain the competitiveness over the pretty much the last decade. Yeah, and I would, I would say, to piggyback off that, over the last, since 2012, or even before that, you know, they really went all in on building a competitive major league roster. And that doesn't that doesn't mean just from the rebuild, say, in 2009, drafting Strasburg, 10, drafting Harper. That doesn't mean just that. It's staying competitive at the major league level. You know, we've seen teams who aren't competitive at the major league level but have really strong farm systems and are kind of just waiting in the wings, and it's kind of like an up and down with them. You know, they've got some good years when young prospects come up and then they get old and then kind of right back down. The Nationals have kind of flatlined in that competitive range um, at the major league level. And that's what Mike Rizzo wants. He's talked about all the time, we're going to be competitive here. You know, we'll worry about our farm system later. Of course, ideally, we want to develop and draft and sign international free agents that will eventually help our big league club. But our main goal is to stay competitive and compete for championships year in and year out. And that's what they've done. And, and you've touched on all those things. And that includes signing free agents, making smart trades, uh, um, hiring experienced or the right manager, you know, with with uh, uh, you know Davy Johnson and Dusty Baker, mm-hmm. and then Davy Martinez being the right guy for this team. So it, it's more so to me just a commitment. You know, it's kind of cheesy to say like a commitment to excellence, a commitment to winning. It's not going to be well. We're going to be down this year, and, and we'll bounce back in in two years, or we're going to be do a you know, a small rebuild and we'll be back in a couple of years. And no, no, no. It's every single Mm -hmm. year. This team has had world series aspirations and they've maintained their focus on the major league roster as opposed to maintaining or as opposed to focusing on an influx of young talent in the, in the farm system and then bring them up eventually and hoping that just sticks. And it's kind of like reloading. They're constantly reloading, never having to rebuild. And that's why you're constantly, you have to turn over your team and you have to do it gradually. You can't do it all at once. The Cubs are a good example of that. You know, they had this core group of guys that all peaked peaked at one time and then they fell off. And, you know, you get a championship off, championship out of that, but you don't necessarily get um, a decade worth of being competitive. And the Red Sox are another good example of a team that hasn't really had to rebuild. They've won four World Series over the last 15 years, but you look at their 2007 World Series roster to 2013, only four guys stayed on that roster. And then, I mean, sorry, 2013. And then 2013 to 2018, Xander Bogarts was the Mm -hmm. only guy that stayed on that roster. So that's a good example of overturning your your 
roster gradually and not doing it all at once. And that comes from having that core. You have that core group of guys, um, you know, guys like David Ortiz who are livers. Um, and then you build on that. You build on that, whether it's signing free agents or getting going out and making good trades and having more good trades than you have bad trades. Um, and it's a combination of all of that. And you have to have a good GM to do that. And Mike Rizzo is, has been the guy for the Nationals. And that's not to say that the Nationals haven't, don't have have an unrealistic view of how baseball works. You know, there are, look at uh, the 2018 where they clearly weren't going to make the playoffs and they sold off a couple of guys. You can even go back to 2015. It's just, you know, they made smart deals then and trading off guys that they knew weren't going to be a mm-hmm. long-term fixture with this team. And we even talked about in our Mike Rizzo episode a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even a month ago now, who knows, um, about, you know, getting guys out of the way who were detriment to the clubhouse, a detriment team, not just on the field, but in off the field as well. And so it's not like they are just like, you know, even though they're in third place, like we're going to win, we're going to win, 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 win. No, they have a realistic approach to it. They can see the bigger picture. And Mike Rizzo always says he has a one-year plan, a three-year plan, and a five-year plan. And he sticks to that. And, and when the one-year plan isn't going according to plan, then let's look ahead to the three years. All right, well, who are, who's going to be here in three years? These guys? Well, we have value with them right now. Let's maybe ship them off. And, and you know, you don't want to say give up on a season, but essentially that's what they're doing. Is like we know we're not going to make the playoffs this year. We know we don't have a chance of winning the, our ultimate goal. Let's then shift our focus to the next season. And, and, it, and it's it's a more realistic approach than just saying like, oh no, it's you know, they're, I'm saying they're not they're not stubborn and about it. You know, they're not being like we're always going to win and just pounding <laughs> their fists. No, it's like they have a realistic approach and and a steady mindset on how to approach a season, even when it doesn't go according to plan. Right, and it's being realistic and it's making those moves at the right time that is so important because you, you keep a guy too long and then it ends up being a detriment to your success I mean you look at it's like popping up at the right times you know when they signed Scherzer but they let Jordan Zimmerman walk you know when Worth aged out but they traded and got got eaten um, when Ian Desmond kind of hit the end of his road it was perfect because Anthony Rendon was rising up and becoming a star and Trey Turner was coming up. It's, it's making those moves at the right time because you know that there's guys to fill their holes. Harper, when Harper walked, you know, they had the emergence of uh, Juan Soto and Victor Robles. Um, so it's making those moves at the right time. And if, of course you're going to make wrong moves as a GM. That's, that always happens, but you want way more right moves than you want wrong moves. And that's how you, you stay competitive over a long period of time. Yeah. And I think also, you look at Mike Rizzo, and there has to be a level of trust and like a line of trust. If I, and let me expand on that. There's a level of trust between all facets of the organization, ownership, front office, coaching staff. And then that line goes starts from the Lerner family, goes through Mike Rizzo, goes to David Martinez, goes down to the players. And Mike Rizzo has earned that trust. You know, he was thrust into this role in 2009 – after a scandal in the Dominican league, in the, their Dominican league, or or teams, uh, you know, forging uh, ages of players so that they could sign for cheaper, um, kick him out, assign, make him uh, the interim GM, and then he earned his way up to general manager. And since then, he has done everything the right way, and that has earned the learner's trust. So now you have a GM who's been here for, I guess, now ten years, ten plus years, who can go to ownership and say, "Here's what we're gonna do." Let, and and they can work together. It's there's no hard no's, there's no hard yeses. It's kind of a workflow from ownership all the way down to uh, the coaching staff. 
and how they build and then develop this team, this whole organization. And I think Mike Rizzo is, of course, the guy in the center of all of that who's done a great job, and he's hired the right people, and he's committed to the right parts of the game that ownership can see the end game, right, the goal that he's trying to accomplish. And he has his guy now in Davey Martinez that can see it as well in both the short-term and the long-term. Davey obviously is more focused on the short-term being the field manager, but Mike Rizzo – you know, keeps them in the loop for the long-term goals and they make decisions together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think one thing, you know, it, for those who've read Jesse Doherty's book, Buzzsaw, which was a fantastic read, you know, Jesse has come on the podcast before and talked about it. You know, if you haven't already, go go read the book. But it was very interesting, the chapter on the differences between the Nationals and the Astros and how the Astros approach. Astros mm-hmm. have been a winning team for so long as well but they approach it very analytically and it's numbers 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 they don't really care for the person both on the field and off the field another conversation but the nationals mike rizzo has done this fantastic blend of analytical approach and eye test scouting approach and you know he's a true scout true and true that's how he got started in this business after his playing days he will never abandon that approach and i think that blend of seeing what I see on the field and using the numbers on the sheet is the right, in my mind, the right way to go about it. Because as we just talked about last, <laughs> last night, night, the eye test would have said, keep Blake Snell in the game, but the numbers probably said, pull him. You don't want him facing them for a third time. What if Davey Martinez tried to pull Steven Strasburg in game six last year? You know, the Nationals probably aren't celebrating mm-hmm. a World Series over the past season. So it's that philosophy, I think, that is at the core of the national success year in and year out. It's I trust my guys and we all trust the approach. You know, there's a level of trust there that they're doing it the right way and that they can succeed do- by doing it. And, you know, we know the direction that baseball is going with analytics, but the nationals are so committed committed to the eye test, committed to keeping their scouting department. And they've cycled through so many managers, but they've managed to have eight eight uh, seasons over 500 over the last decade. And I think that goes to show that that philosophy, that that way is working for Mike Rizzo, that line of trust, that commitment um, to, to scouting, to staying a, a true scout at heart is working because they're still winning and they've been, they've cycled through so many managers. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely a line of trust and there's, there's something that's remained common and consistent over the last decade. And that's Mike Rizzo. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that's another level, too, right there. And we're talking about consistency competing. Mike Rizzo is at the base of that consistency, been here for so many for so many years. And, and we talked about, you know, in our Davey Martinez podcast, too, is like they need a level of consistency at the managerial. Now, the fact that they've gone through how many managers? Johnson, Williams, Baker, now Davey, four uh, since 2012, end of 2011. And, and still main competitive is pretty remarkable because you see teams like the Cubs who stuck with Joe Madden for so long. You see teams like the Angels uh, with Socha, even though, you know, they didn't only made one playoffs with the best player in baseball. Um, you know, Terry Francona was with the, with the Red Sox for so long, now mm-hmm. with the Indians for a handful of years. Teams with sustained success usually have a manager stick around. And the Nationals were a revolving door at that position and still remain competitive. And that's partially because of the players on the roster drafting, uh, signing international free agents, signing free agents, making smart trades. That's hard to do, though, when you have a new guy at the helm every two years. But uh, it all comes from the top. I right. mean, those draft picks and all of that comes from the top, comes from Mike Rizzo. And the guy from – that's what I was going to say. And the guy behind all of that was Mike Rizzo making the smart move. So the level of trust between him 
and ownership, and now his guy, David Martinez, is definitely at the core of all of this success mm-hmm. and how the Nationals have moved forward. Um, and hopefully, I mean, this year, not with, I'm, you know, 26 wins in a 60-game season, obviously a bad year. We talked about how we can't blame this team that much for that, um, um, especially after having won the World Series last year. You know, if they didn't make the playoffs last year, it's a different conversation, but they won the whole thing. Um, and, and so it, it's a different conversation. We'll see how 2021 turns out. And when they give – I didn't – my calculations, you know, the Nationals have had our – I have it right here. Excuse me. Um, they are – have a winning percentage of uh, 563 since 2012, not including this year. So I didn't bother including 2019 or 2020 in this because it's a 60-game season. But they've got 730 wins over the – over. Uh, to between 2012 and 2019 in 162 game seasons, which is pretty impressive. And again, third best in all of baseball. And it worked out because at the start of this, like 2011 is when they really started this philosophy um, and you signed Jason Worth and traded for Gio Gonzalez. That's when it all started. And then 2012 is when they started winning, made the playoffs. Um, and it worked out that they're winning in th- their division. The Phillies mm-hmm. fell off at the right time. You know, the Braves are just starting to be competitive again. And it really worked out in their division. The, the key has been they've been competitive in their division, and it worked out for them at the right time. I think that's a piece of it, too. I've always said that winning in your division is one of the biggest keys to success in the regular season. You face four teams 19 times each. You need to win half – more than half of those games, 10 or more against those guys. You know, you look at the, the seasons that the Nationals didn't make the playoffs. You know, it was 2013 where they couldn't beat the Braves. It was 2015 they couldn't beat the Mets. It was 2018 they couldn't beat the Braves again. Those guys are the ones that ended up winning the division. You've got to be able to beat the guys in your own division that you mm-hmm. face multiple times. You only face the other teams in your league maybe six times, four to six times in a regular season, and then – a handful of interleague matchups. And then look matchups. at this season. Yeah. I mean, you had to win in your division. Right, exactly. That's a, a great point. So winning your division is also key to success. The Nationals, in the years that they've been successful, were good at doing that, beating the guys in their – especially, you know, the National League East hasn't been particularly that competitive mm-hmm. over this course of – you know, except for, like those said, the, uh, the Braves, uh, the Mets that one year. Mm-hmm. Phillies really haven't been there since their late 2000s, and the Marlins have been – seem like constantly rebuilding over the handful of years. So you beat the guys in your division, you have a good chance on a, on a consistent basis. You have a good chance to be consistently successful uh, at the major league level. Yeah. I think you're right about that. And then on top of it all, the money helps. Yeah. Right. The nationals have the money. They can go out and pay the guys they want and they've made a commitment to paying starting pitching. And if you have starting pitching, you're always going to be in a mix. So in the mix, I think is a big part of it. So if you have the option to pay the guys that you want to pay and then you, you're paying starting pitching, you always have that consistent starting pitching, you're going to consistently win or consistently be competitive. Yeah, and we talked a lot about Mike Rizzo just now, and let's talk about the learners too. You know, Behind a great, successful general manager is an ownership group that is willing to pay up for a competitive team. You know, the, No secret, the learners are one of the richest families, owners in baseball, and, and they've not shied away from spending big, Look at Scherzer. Look at now Steven Strasburg. You know they they know where they put their money and where they trust Mike Rizzo to put it. Um, and Amy, to me, it's also you know not just spending money on players. It's it's allocating money elsewhere. Look at what they did revamping the Nationals Dominican 
Academy. Look at what they've done with the Youth Baseball Academy here and invested into the city. Um, you know, you get sustained success by building a fan base too. You know, whether the team is really good or not, all, all the times, if you get a fan base behind your back, you're always going to have a consistent cash flow coming into the organization. Then that, that turns into being able to spend on the likes of Scherzer and Strasburg mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, look, and, and going back to the conversation about how Mike Rizzo hasn't completely given up on in person scouting, they still have a scouting department that they spend money on. You know, they hire people to do that for Mike Rizzo and they hire people to do the analytical side for Mike Rizzo too. So they do the best of both worlds very well. It's not just spending money on players and and high profile managers or general managers. It's allocating the money throughout the entire organization to build it from the ground up and to remain, keep it consistently top level throughout uh, Mm -hmm. the major leagues. And it's, it's putting money in the right places and trusting to put money in the right places. You talk about the D- Dominican Academy. I mean, those the the international scouting in kind of fixing that relationship um, has been been huge because you look at stars like Juan Soto and Victor Robles. That's been a huge part of their success. Um, and then you talk about putting money in their scouts. I mean, they that's they trust their scouts. They Davey Martinez talks. You talk about it in Buzzsaw. It talks about turning to those scouts and turning to those scouts in big moments. Um, so it's putting your money in the right place and the learners trusting Rizzo and that that trust of putting that money in the right place and that leads to success. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Again, the 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 will to uh, it's it's just common like practice business sense. You know, you got to spend money to make money. Obviously, the learners are very good at the business side of, of it all, um, and and investing in the team that they bought back in two thousand six, uh, and 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 building a winner. They knew what they were getting themselves into. They knew the job that was ahead of them, um, and they've done it the right way. They've gotten Mike Rizzo to do it the right way, and now David Martinez is doing it the right way. And again, it just trickles down, and the players have bought in. And you look at the guys that come up and. You know, we can also talk about another pillar of success is drafting well. You know, they got in three consecutive drafts, Strasburg, Harper, and Rendon, you know, all future all-stars in world and an MVP and a World Series MVP right there. So, you know, it's all different aspects that have come together, starting from the top, bottom, and just that, again, it's cheesy, but it's just that commitment to excellence at mm-hmm. the major league level. They knew that they were not only going to build up a contender, but a consistent contender and wanted to get to that point and stay there and build up this fan base in this franchise in the Washington DC area that of course hasn't seen baseball in a very long time. Right. And so it, it was a tough task ahead um, that they were, they were given once they bought the team and the team returned to DC. But man, I mean, you look around, we talk about how the couple of years that the nationals didn't make the playoffs and have had down years, but ask any Nationals fan or any national pundit on the baseball, you would take what the Nationals have done since 2012, maybe even go back to 2009 in terms of drafting Strasburg to now 10 times out of 10 because not many teams have done it this way or have to, are currently rebuilding or had to rebuild multiple times or still rebuilding, you know, whatever it may be. So the Nationals have found a way to build a foundation, get to the mountaintop and stay near that top uh, for past decade or so which is pretty pretty impressive uh, especially at the major league level you're right about that all right well that is just gonna wrap, pretty much wrap up that conversation um, um, and looking back at the nationals decade-long string of success again thank you for tuning in uh, to the mass on all access podcast and bearing with us as some breaking news came across the news board um, uh, in terms of club options being declined and uh, david martinez's uh, coaching staff rather being announced in full 
uh, as we turn our attention to the 2021 season. Big shout out again to Paul Mancano behind the board for helping breaking the news uh, to us right here all live on the Mass Nationals Facebook page and YouTube tube, uh, YouTube channel and on Twitter. Be sure to stay tuned on MassInSports.com for all the latest breaking news throughout the offseason. It's going to be a busy couple of days with free agency opening up after the conclusion of the World Series, so be sure to Stay locked into the website and, of course, all our social media channels and follow the Mass on All Access podcast on all your favorite channels, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I caught up with the Assistant General Manager and uh, Director of International Scouting, Johnny DePuglia, uh, and he talked about his scouting of Juan Soto and Victor Robles and how the Nationals will approach international scouting next season. Now joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Johnny DePuglia, Assistant General Manager and Advanced Scouting Director for your Washington Nationals. Johnny, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you giving the Mass and All Access podcast a part of your time. Well, thank you for having me on. Well, first off, the obvious question is, you know, with the pandemic baseball season, everything was different about this season. But scouting may have been the most affected with the limit of travel uh, how did you go about your job and your day-to-day operations starting way back in March when uh, the season got shut down and continue through the summer and into this regular season uh, with, I'm sure, a bunch of restrictions on how you could scout players overseas? Yeah, you got to go back to your, your database and uh, what your area scouts have seen in the past. And then obviously, you know, kind of doing what we're doing right here, do Zoom calls have them update videos, you know, you can't go to the field. So the, the Buscon or the trainer has to send them updated videos and we, we break them down within the group and, uh, and go from there. That's pretty much all you can do. Cause you can't really travel right now because of the pandemic. What about the young uh, players that are already in the system at, at the Dominican uh, Academy for the nationals? How do you oversee their development? Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was, very few, if any, games played. There was no minor league season here in the States. So how difficult was it for you guys to kind of oversee their development without much of a season at all? Very difficult. Uh, the only good break that we had is that we were able to hold uh, an instructional league in the States, which was which just finished yesterday. It was a, like a four-week program. So a lot of our top Latin prospects came in and, and, and were there. Uh, obviously it was tough on them because they had all this time off. So physically some of them were made some regressions and some of them were actually in very good shape. Um, so I was able to see them and reboot them and get them in the right direction. And I was very impressed with what I saw in our instruction league. I think it's probably our best young group of players that I, that we've had since I've been here and it's been 11 years. That's, that's saying a lot considering some of the names that have come through this system, uh, especially from the Dominican. Uh, I, I saw on your Twitter account at Tapuglia that you posted a picture celebrating uh, the 2020 Nationals English language graduates. Uh, that's something that the Nationals really harp on and take pride in teaching these young uh, Spanish-speaking players English so they can grow accustomed to speaking English with coaches and, and fans and, and trainers, such like that, as they come up through the system. How much pride do you take in that these guys put in so much effort into their studies, not just on the field, but also off the field as well? Well, it's right up, it's right up there with getting them guys to the big leagues because my, my main goal is trying to get these young men to be better human beings, be better fathers. You know, a lot of them aren't going to make it to the big leagues. You know, maybe some of them will be coaches or scouts like I am. 
Uh, some of them have been doctors, lawyers, you know, singers. I've had one kid, one kid made become a very good singer in Latin America. But learning the language, English language for me is right up there with them getting in the big leagues. And this 2020 class was probably our highest attended class of 15 kids. Uh, they all get up there and uh, have a speech in English, in the English language. And it's kind of emotional, but it's uh, it's a very rewarding thing. And then this year we had a player from the U.S., uh, Clough, who was drafted out of BYU, shortstop. He stood up and he spoke some words in Spanish, which was which was outstanding because he, he really wanted to grasp that, that part of the, of the language also. That's a really cool uh, little tidbit because, you know, of course you hear about these young players learning English, but then some of their teammates who, uh, of course, grew up learning English now want to learn Spanish so they can have communications in both languages. That's really, really interesting. Uh, obviously, you mentioned that's something that you take pride in and is on par with uh, guys reaching the big leagues. Two big names that have reached the big leagues through this system, of course, Juan Soto and Victor Robles, both of whom you had an uh, integral part in, in their scouting and their development from the Dominican uh, what can you tell us about looking back on um, what you saw from young Juan Soto and Victor Robles uh, just as teenagers and then how you went about scouting, signing them, and then developing them to become the stars they are today? Well, it all, it all starts out with the area scouts. You know, they're the one that are on the, on the – got the boots on the ground and they're looking for the players. So if they don't find the right guy for us to do our – due diligence to figure out what they are. We, we're nothing. So I give all the credit to the area scouts. And then, uh, you know, we go in there and we, we break them down because we have a little bit more experience with the draft and, and how we break guys down three, three or four years down the road as a, as a, as a draft prospect. And, uh, when you find a kid that, that looks, that looks different, I always say like a like a dog that plays checkers, you 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 put all your, your resources in to try to sign him and we're lucky we're working for people like the Learner Group and obviously Mike Rizzo who trusts us. So that's it's a family, you know, that 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 makes these kids uh get to the big leagues and obviously player development also is a big part of it. Yeah, you also posted on your Twitter account last year, or coming up on a year now maybe a little over of the kids at the Dominican Academy watching the World Series, watching Juan Soto and Victor Robles play in the World Series and going crazy when Juan Soto hit a double off the wall in Houston. Uh, what does it mean to these kids to see someone who was once in their shoes not only reach the big league stage but then go on and play in the World Series, play, win the championship? Uh, how much drive does that put into these guys to get at, after every single day, try to get better and, and become one of the best young uh, prospect systems from the Dominican that baseball has to offer? Uh, it, it makes them believe. It makes them believe that they're they they're in an organization that believes in 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 the Latin American program. Uh, I'm, you know, I got my I got my my hands on them all the time, making sure they they act the right way. And uh, if you if you're talented and you produce, uh, Mike Rizzo is not scared to to bring 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 up to the big leagues at 20 years old. So if you believe and you see it happening around you. And you have the ability, and you work, and you do the, do the due diligence to 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 go to each level and perform. You're gonna you're gonna get to the big leagues quick here, and that's all a testament to Mike Rizzo. Well, someone who believed and saw their success and reached the big leagues this year was Luis Garcia, another uh, young prospect from Latin America. Uh, what can you tell us about what 
Nationals fans should expect from Luis Garcia as he continues to develop in his young career and moving forward uh, as a major leaguer. He, we got a small taste of him this year in the shortened season. He impressed both defensively and at the plate. What should we expect from Luis Garcia in the next couple of seasons? Uh, I think getting to the big leagues was this year was really good for him because it's going to make him uh, truly work hard on his on his body and get into the best possible shape that he possibly can. Not take things for granted. You know, you know. Sometimes when you're 20 years old, you don't you don't perform on every play and you know, every ball pitched. But uh, Louis Garcia has a very high IQ. The best thing about Louis Garcia, he's not scared of anybody. He'll go over there and battle anybody. Regardless of the of the of the kind of baseball he's playing, uh, he can play shortstop. He can play second. You know, he's going to have to work fine tune his at bats. You know, try to take a little bit more pitches. But people don't understand for what he did at a twenty year old uh, age, uh, junior in college, and playing the big leagues. And and I thought he performed very well. is is pretty incredible. And that's the third guy that that we've been able to do that in the last five years, you know, with Robles and Soto and now Garcia. And we have more coming. I, we have a couple kids in instructionally that think there's a chance they can get up there at 20 years old too. So it's pretty exciting to see a young man like that play at that level. Uh, it's good for the organization and obviously good for the fans to follow a young man and see him play in the big leagues. Yeah, National says we're definitely excited to see Luis Garcia this year. I'm sure they'll be excited to hear that you have more coming along the way over the next couple of seasons from the look at. Speaking of which, of course, scouting never really stops. Uh, your your job is uh, 365 around the calendar year. How do, have you guys planned out the next couple of months of the offseason, and do you guys have uh, a set plan on how you might approach the season in 2021 scouting, assuming that it might be a little different, kind of similar to this year uh, with the uncertainty certainties of the, uh, the pandemic. Well, obviously now we have to reboot our big league roster. We have to uh, protect some players. So we, we get together as a group, uh, you know, Marshall Lava, Doug Harris, Mike Rizzo, myself, the pro scouting department, and uh, we review our our players that are eligible to come off and be on the roster. Try to figure out who we need to put on there, who do we need to put in the AAA roster, you know, with chances of losing some guys. And, uh, and then as far as scouting, it's all pending upon this pandemic, you know, as far as we get, you know, we get a remedy and we could, we could move on with society because it's not only baseball, it's on hold. It's, it's pretty much everybody. And we need to get a cure for this thing so we can move forward and, and get fans in stands and, and only get, hopefully get back to normal as soon as possible. Well, Johnny, good luck. Enjoy the rest of your offseason. Any downtime you can get. Um, and good luck heading into next season uh, with your continued success in scouting and developing these young Latin American players overseas. Thank you so much for your time and joining the Mass and All Access podcast. Thank you, guys, and help everybody be, be safe. Uh, happy holidays.